Hallelujah. This class is about the life of prayer. And we've been looking, first of all, what prayer is not. Then we started to look in Luke 11, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, they gave them, he gave them four principles of prayer, four key, four, what I call the pillars of prayer, because it, 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 what will build your foundation is what will make your prayer life stable, fruitful, and enjoyable. Amen. And you can pray, you know, when you have a chair, you sit in the chair to do what? To rest. And your prayer, if you approach prayer as something strenuous, something hard, something that, ah, then you, 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 you're praying the wrong way. You understand? And yes, there will be time where God will call you to pray and put a, a burden or put something on your heart to pray, but there is a grace. Amen. And a, a chair, you sit in a chair to rest. Your prayer, if you have those four foundational pillars, you will enter into a life of prayer. You will be doing it in the rest of God. By the, you understand what I mean by that? Jesus says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Amen. You see, that's the difference with all the other religions. You know, the other religions, they pray five times a day or three times a day. You know, they do it every day. And they do it as a duty, as a work. You know, but us, we do it by the grace of God. And in the grace of God, there is rest. Amen. Doesn't mean that sometimes we're not going to push through some things, but we don't do it by our own effort. And, And you understand. Some of you are looking at me puzzled. You'll understand later. We saw that the first pillar is... <laughs> the first pillar is what? Relationship. relationship. It means that your prayer is based on a relationship. That means that you understand that God is no longer a judge that you have to be afraid of, but he is a loving father that you can approach with that fear, with confidence, and with boldness. Amen. Then we saw number two, because God is your father, you understand your relation with God. It's a position of righteousness, number two. Amen. Understanding your righteousness, which is a position of favor. Amen. It's a position of blessing. It's a position of no fear. And and when you understand that, it gives you that boldness. We saw that the Bible says that the righteous are bold as a lion. It doesn't mean arrogance. I'm better than everybody. That's not that's not boldness. Boldness is knowing who God made you. He made you a son. And when you're a son, you have a certain boldness with your father. It means you are not afraid to come and talk to daddy, you know, and ask him for what you need. Amen. Hallelujah. And then number three, number three, what was it? Faith. Faith. Amen. Number one is relationship. God is your father. Number two is righteousness. It means you are a son and it produces boldness. Number three, Jesus said the third thing, if you want to have a good fruitful, enjoyable prayer life, then you're going to have to understand faith. You're going to have to understand faith. Amen. Hallelujah. And we saw, we started to look at in Luke 11, in order to illustrate that point, you know, Jesus gave them a parable. He says, be bold to knock at God's door anytime for anything. And his door will never be closed. And then he says, and then you ask and you receive. Knock, it will be opened. Seek, you will always find. 
And that is to illustrate that we can walk by faith, knowing that because we are his father, we are son. Anything we ask the father, we can know we receive. Anything we seek from the father, we know he's going to reveal it to us. Anything we, if there is a door closed, God will open it. Amen. And that's what faith. And we saw that faith. You see, if you start asking again and again and again and again, like some people think, that's how you approach God. You got to beg and ask again and again and again. And God finally will say, oh, lest they weary me, I'll just give it to them. You see, that is not a position of faith. Faith knows that God is good, that God is given, that he's a father, you're a son, and whatever you need and you ask, he gives. That's why he said in John chapter 17, verse 5, I believe, he says, if, you, if your word abide in, your, my word abide in you and you abide in my word, ask whatever you will and you will have it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And in John chapter uh, 16, verse 23, he says, Ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you that your joy may be full. That is faith. Amen. And so we started to look at what faith is. Can somebody tell me what faith is? Addis, what is faith? Believing. Hmm? Believing. Faith is believing, but believing in what? Hebrew 11.1. 1. Daniel, Hebrew 11.1, 1, what does it say? I'll help you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's right. And so faith is being willing to believe in something you cannot see. And we saw two different people. One who had faith, one who didn't have faith. You saw Abraham. When God says, Abraham, you'll be a father of many people. And Abraham said, we have a problem. I don't have even a son. And then what happened? He looked at himself, old, 100 years old. He looked at Sarah, 90 years old. And she was barren. Even at 16, she could not have any children. And God told him, you will have a son from your own flesh, from your own body. And you see, Abraham, it says he had faith because he refused to look at what he could see and feel. But instead, he chose to believe what God said. He had no physical evidence. And what he saw and what he felt said, no, no, impossible. But he chose to believe in what God said instead of what he saw and felt. On the opposite, we saw Thomas, John 20. In John 20, verse 29, 25 through 29, it said that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, and then, you know, they, they got excited. And then they told Thomas because he wasn't there. You remember? Yeah. And what did Thomas say? Zaid? Unless I see, unless I touch and feel, I will not believe. And you see, the, week, the few days later, when he saw Jesus, Jesus called him and said, Come here, Thomas. Put your finger in my, the hole of my hands. Touch. Touch my side. Look at it. And he says, Be, because you see and because you feel, you believed. But he said, blessed are those who do not see and do not feel, but yet they believed. You see, faith is being willing to believe in something you cannot see. Faith is being persuaded. You know that you know that you know that something you cannot see is real. Amen. We saw yesterday that in order, in order to believe, 
in something you cannot see and feel. Jesus was asking the disciple, you need to believe in something you cannot see and feel. Amen. And in order to do that, to believe in something you cannot see, you must understand and you must be aware that there are two different worlds. Amen. There are two different worlds. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1. How long ago did you have the class on faith? Two weeks ago? Two months? Okay. So it shouldn't be too, it shouldn't be too long ago for you. You should still know it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Jesus is telling them to have faith. And he's asking them to have faith. He's demanding that they believe in something they could not see or feel by the five senses. Here is my, I'm going to give you my definition. Faith. Faith is being persuaded. Do you know what persuaded means? Persuaded means you know that 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 you know. Being persuaded of something You cannot see feel or perceive by the five senses but you know it is real. This is Hebrew 11.1 1, according to Audrey. And in order to do that, you must understand that there are two different worlds, two different kingdoms. Colossians chapter 1, are you there yet? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Okay, I'm going to wait until you finish. Remember, you're going to have the notes. So don't be so concerned. You're going to get all the notes. Amen. But I'd like you to read or listen to this verse. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. What does this tell us? It tells us that God created two different worlds. The earth that is visible. And for this earth, God is giving us the five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. And you need them. But they, there is also another world. It's called the spirit world. And you notice the spirit world is invisible. There is a earth visible. There is a heaven or you call it a spirit world, the realm of God that is invisible. But it's real. It, it is as real as the earth. And it says here that God is real. How many of you believe that God is real? Yeah. <laughs> but how many of you this morning, before you, when you woke up, 
You woke up and you saw God. He sat at the bed of your, you know, by your bed. You saw him. You saw his physically. How many of you smelled his smell? How many of you went and shook his hand? How many of you heard an audible voice? This is God. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? None of us. But yet, all of us in this room, we believe that God is real. You have faith. You see, you apply faith every day without realizing, and you take it for granted that you have faith. You believe in the God that is invisible. You believe and you are persuaded of somebody you cannot see, feel, perceived by the five senses. But you know that he's real. You see, that's what faith is. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? That he was crucified, he died, and rose from the dead. Now, how many of you were at the cross. You saw him at the cross. You were with Mary and Peter and John. Anybody? How many of you were with Mary Magdalene at the, at, the, at the tomb? Anybody? You saw him at the tomb? Nobody. But yet you believe. You believe that he died on the cross and you believe in somebody or something that you have never seen, that you don't see, you have no physical evidence. Congratulations. You have faith. This is that easy. Faith is being willing to believe in something or somebody that you cannot see, feel, or touch, or taste. Amen. Hallelujah. And all the blessings of God, everything that you will ever need from God, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 3. Ephesians 1, 3. He says that God, you see most people, they might need healing maybe, right? They need healing and they ask for it and then they don't see it. And like Thomas, what do they say? I don't see my healing. I don't feel it. I didn't get anything. Like Thomas, they are saying, I'll believe I'll be healed. I'll believe I'll be healed when I feel it, when I see it. Okay, Thomas. But Jesus said, you'll be healed. You'll be blessed. You'll get your prayers answered when you are willing to believe in somebody and something you cannot see, feel, touch, smell, hear with your audible, with your physical ears. Ephesians 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has. What tense is that? Past, present, or future? Who has blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings. Where? In heavenly places. Or you could say, in the spirit world. In Christ Jesus. But you know what the spirit world. It is. Thank you. Dead Lawit or Helen. It is in. Or Tigist. Whichever. <laughs> I heard somebody come from here. You see. That spiritual world is. Invisible. So all those blessings. That God has. Already blessed you with. Has been given to you. Where? In the heavenly places, in the spirit world that is invisible. So all those blessings that God has given to you, that means they are invisible. And you've got to be willing when you approach God. You have to be willing to believe in something, those blessings you must believe in, the, in that, in, 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 in something you cannot see or feel. Hallelujah. Ephesians 1.11 says that in Christ you have obtained an inheritance. What is an inheritance? What is an inheritance? 
Eshetu, what is an inheritance? You don't know? When somebody dies, Hermes, what is an inheritance? You don't know. Abi, what is an inheritance? In Amarik, what is? Wirtz. What is it, Wirtz? When somebody dies, he will take the property. Thank you. An inheritance means somebody was rich or I had something. And when they died, they give it to you. It's passed to you. You see, when a person has anything of value, they will write a will. And when they die, they will read the will and know who that property goes to. Jesus died. He had a big, he had everything. He had everything. He obtained victory, healing, salvation. He obtained everything. And he died. And he wrote a will. He wrote a will. And on that will, he said, I'm passing everything on to you. Tezera, Daniel, all of us. And so in Ephesians 1.11, he says, in Christ, because he died, you have received an inheritance. And like, if, for example, you have a rich uncle that lives in Washington, D.C. There's all kind of Ethiopian in Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> and what if you have a rich uncle, very rich, and he dies, and he had half a million dollars. It's a lot of money. And he dies, and on his will, you are the only relative, family member. And that fortune goes to you. What will you do with it? Put it under the bed? No. You will take it and put it, deposit it where? In a bank. Right? And there it will be safe. And there, that's where you will go to make withdrawal when you need it. So the Bible tells us that after Jesus died... He obtained an inheritance for us and he gave it to us and he deposited it in a what I call a heavenly bank account. First Peter, go with me to First Peter <coughs> chapter 1. First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We find out Jesus at the cross obtained through the, the plan of redemption. He obtained victory, everything Adam had lost and more. And then what happened? He gave us all things. He gave us that inheritance. He made us his heir, joint heirs. And he deposited that inheritance in a spiritual bank account. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And verse 4, he says, He has begotten us to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven, or you could say deposited in heaven for you. Deposited in heaven, the spirit world for you. So here it says that after Jesus obtained that inheritance, he deposited that inheritance in a spiritual bank account, in the spirit world, but because it's in the spirit world, Kobele, it is? That inheritance is being put in a spiritual bank account, in the spirit world, and it means that that... Yes, it is invisible. That is what then you've got to be willing, be persuaded that everything you need from the Father 
He has already given it to you. It's in your spiritual bank account. And whatever you need from the Father, you can make a withdrawal, but by faith, you must be persuaded that even though you don't see it yet, or you don't feel it yet, it is real. As real as the Father is. As real as Jesus is. But you see, most Christians... They believe God is real. But because they don't see or feel the blessings, they are quick to say, they're not there. It's not real. God didn't give it. I don't have it. You see? We've got to apply the same principle that we apply when we have faith in God. We must have the same faith for all the blessings that God has given us in Christ. We've got to have the same faith that says, I don't, I've asked God for it. I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet. But yet I am persuaded that that blessing is there. It's real. It's been given to me. It's my, it is in my spiritual bank account. Amen. And it's your faith that will withdraw it. It is your faith that will withdraw it and bring it. You see, if you have faith, If you have faith and you are persuaded of something you cannot see, your faith will bring it from the invisible into the visible. And Jesus says you've got to be willing to walk by faith. And how do we know? You know, I just said that God has given you that spiritual bank account. But how do you find out? What is in that spiritual bank account? Because it's invisible. Right? You cannot see it, feel it, touch it. So how can you find out what belongs to you? How can you find out, Tezera, what has been deposited in that heavenly bank account for you? How? Because you cannot see it or perceive it by the five senses. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, though we do not look 2 Corinthians 4.18 though we do not look at the things which are seen but at the things which are unseen, invisible for the things which are seen or visible are temporary But the things which are unseen, invisible, are eternal. But there seems to be a question here. How can you look at what is invisible? How do you look at something that is invisible? Hmm. Yeah, but how... Can you obtain faith? How can you find out what's in the spirit world? How can you find out and look at things that are invisible? Somebody with a Bible. Here we go. Thank you, Addis. What is this? No, it's not a Bible. It is a window. It is a spiritual window. And when you open this window, it shows you and allows you to look at things that are invisible in this world. The Bible says in John 6, 63, my words are spirit. And so when you open your Bible, it is like opening a window that allows you to look into the spirit world. And discover what is in the spirit world. But you know, I, I don't know about you, but there was a time when I was just young, I would open a Bible and look at it, don't see anything. And Matthew 13 says, they have eyes but don't see. They have ears but don't hear, nor do they understand. Because their eyes have closed. So you see, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 
says, God has not given us the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is from God, that we may know the things which have been freely given to us by God. You see, you can open a Bible, but it's the Holy Spirit that will open the window and allow you to see and perceive and, and, and see in the spirit world. It's the Holy Spirit that opens the word. It's the Holy Spirit that opens the window. Amen. Because you and I both know you might have opened your Bible and have not seen some things. And then one day you opened it and all of a sudden, you saw a spiritual truth. You discovered something. Why was it? You see, it's the Holy Spirit that opens the window. And when you open your Bible, and so to know what has been given to you, what has been deposited in your heavenly bank account, what is part of your inheritance, you need to open the window with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why you, when you open your Bible, ask Holy Spirit, I thank you for showing, opening the word to me. Open the window, help me to see and give me revelation. That's what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 17. Father, give unto them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, opening the eyes of their heart that they may know and see what is the hope of the calling, the inheritance and the power to them through them. You understand? So to become persuaded of something you cannot see, it means you're going to have to open your Bible and open the window to see what has been deposited, what it belongs to you. Amen. And you see, there are many people that love God. They love God. They might need healing or they might need finances or they might need salvation or they might need the Holy Spirit. They might need anything from God. They love God and they don't get it. They don't get healed. They don't get blessed. You know why? They love God. But why don't they get blessed? Because they've never taken the time to open the window. Hosea 4, 6. Hosea 4, 6. What does it say? My people perish, or my people are sick, or my people are poor, or my people are whatever by a lack of knowledge. Or you could say because they did not open the window and know what belonged to them. You see, if you don't know, because that's how people approach God. They approach God trying to motivate them, motivate him to give something. So they plead, they cry, they beg, they try to motivate God. Please give it to us. Please give it to us. But what would you think if Roman, I said, here, I give you my iPad. I'm giving it to you. I have decided to give it to you. And you keep on looking at me and says, please give me your iPad. Would you please give me your iPad? Key, please, please give me your iPad. I would be like, but I say I'm giving. It's right here. Take it. Just come and take it. That's how many Christians are. They approach God begging for him to give something that they said, it's in the bank account. Just come and take it. Hallelujah. So you see, by faith, we have got, we have got to understand, open the window and, and approach God by faith, knowing that, and here is something else, you so in your prayer, we're talking, thank you, Holy Ghost, we're talking about prayer, approaching God, and you, so you, that's in your relationship with God, so many times we are so led by our feelings, dominated by our feelings, what we feel, what we see. Yes. yes. I might pray and I might not feel anything, 
I asked God and prayed and worshiped, and I didn't feel a goosebump. I didn't feel anything. So we said, God, why have you left me? God, where are you? Where God, I didn't, you know? Why is it you are moved by what you feel, by your five senses? In your relationship with God, you're going to have to be willing to believe that God is real, that He's there, that He's hearing, that He's listening, that He's answering, that He's, even though you might not feel or see anything. You know, the greatest lesson that God has taught me, I remember, is you see, as young, that's, that is a characteristic of a young Christian. Like children, you know what they do? Children, they want to feel everything. Amen? And as a young Christian, my experience was, I mean, every time I opened my Bible, I would just read something, you know, get a revelation, get excited. I'd go to church and it was like, wow, all the time exciting, you know. I was always feeling God and it felt good. We like that, don't we? We like to feel God and feel the Spirit and, you know, be in church and getting revelation. We like that. But then God spoke to me and he said, I'm getting ready to teach you something. And I was, so I was prepared. And all of a sudden, for a little amount of time, I would go to church and sit in church and I wouldn't get any revelation. I wouldn't feel the Spirit. I would open my Bible and read and I wouldn't feel God. I wouldn't have any physical experience. I would pray and I wouldn't hear anything. And God taught me, he said, I want you to learn to walk by faith and not by your senses. And so for a little time, I just there, I pressed in and I had to say, I know I'm talking, I'm going to church, I'm opening my Bible, I know God is there, you know, but I kept doing it not by faith, not by my feelings, but by faith. And all of a sudden what happened is when I learned that lesson of walking by faith and not by what I felt and being be persuaded that even though when I talked to God, even if I didn't feel anything, by faith I knew God heard me and God was there, that he didn't leave me. When I learned that lesson, all of a sudden it was like, I, I grew from there to, to there. Because all of a sudden, my relationship with God was not based on my feelings. It was based on faith. You see? So I'm saying that, that when, you know, in the life of prayer, you know, because sometimes you might have some awesome experience. You know what I mean? Where you feel things, where you see things, and it's good. But you must not. You must come to the place that even if you don't feel anything, even if you don't hear, even if you, you just know that God is there. You know you are the righteousness of God. You know that God hears your prayer. You know that even if you don't see, the answer is on its way. We become, instead of becoming walking by our senses, we are walking by faith. And that's where we start growing in God. Yes, 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 yes. That's when we start growing in God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And God wants us in our prayer life to be children that are led, that are walking by faith, not by our five senses. Amen. Glory to God. How much time do we have? 20 minutes. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We covered a lot of ground this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, shatatarada. Ishe And you see, real prayer, and we're going to cover, talk about that later, but our real prayer is really not trying to motivate God and ask God, you know, what our real, to, to give us things, but our real prayer is to find out what God has given to find out the will of God and then to pray out his will. And you see, when you find out his will and pray his will, you don't have to wonder if it's going to come or not. Because if, that's what 1 John, 4, 1 John 5, 14. 
You see, this is the confidence that you will have. That if we pray anything according to God's will, He hears you. And if He hears you, you already have the petition. So if you allow, in another word, our life of prayer is really the life of a prophet. You are all prophets. In the sense where you are hearing, finding out the will of God and declaring, speaking out the will of God. You see, prayer is not trying to move God to do something. Prayer is not trying to move God to do something. Prayer is finding what is the will of God and you speak it out. You declare it. And then you know it, is, it will be done because it's the will of God. It's really being God's, being God's voice on the earth. Being God's voice where you find out his heart. You find out his will. You find out what he wants to do. You find out and then when you find out you speak it out. And our words are so powerful. Amen. How, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. So we saw, we saw number one, relationship. Number two, righteousness. Number three, faith. Number four, the fourth pillar is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Let's go back to, he, to Luke 11. That is our main text. Our main text. Luke 11. Verse 13. You know everything that Jesus says has a purpose. He didn't put one verse after the other for no reason. Everything has a sense. And when he told the disciple and taught them how to pray, he told them first call God your father. Your prayer is based on a relationship. Then he told them, you know, approach God like you would a friend who you know is generous. So be bold. Approach him for anything, anyhow. Know your position of favor with the Father. Then he told them, you know, then you're going to have to be willing to believe in something or, or somebody you don't see or feel. Amen. In your prayer life, you have, you need faith. And then number four, you notice, he told them, ask, you will receive. Knock, it will be open. Seek, you will find. For anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who asks, receives. Anyone who, who knocks, it is open. That's faith. You see, it's not asking again and again. No, it's finding out and asking it, and you know, you receive. Amen. And then it's strange that after talking to them about the Father, after talking about righteousness, after talking about faith, and he says, and how many of you, if you have a father, and even you being evil, knows how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why did all of a sudden Jesus was talking about prayer, Asking and receiving, and then he introduced the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus knew that in order to have a stable prayer life, we were going to need the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you see, if you knew you had a relationship with the Father, if you knew your righteousness, and if you knew how to walk by faith, you could still have a good prayer life, correct? Yeah. And you can still sit on a chair with three legs. Mm -hmm. I saw some stools this morning at a little cafe. They had three legs. People were sitting on it. Mm -hmm. So you can have a prayer life knowing the Father, understanding your righteousness, and walking by faith. But how much more? Will your prayer life will be stable and rich and, 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 and have substance when you have the help of the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. So Jesus was telling the disciples, if you want to really have a good prayer life, 
you're going to need to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. You are going to need the Holy Spirit. And by the way, let me tell you that if you, being a normal father, would give good things to your children, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, will want you to have the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And so we've got to understand that once you have the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer, all of a sudden you are no longer limited to your mind, to what you can see, to what you can feel. With the help of the Holy Spirit, He will help you to tap into the spirit world. Amen? With the help of the Holy Spirit. So we must not just receive the Holy Spirit, but take advantage of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But you see, many Christians don't. Even Christians who have once been filled with the Holy Spirit, they never understand that the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And the word helper in Greek is the word parakletos. Parakletos. And the word parakletos means someone called alongside of you to help you. Example. You see, I might want to take this pulpit and move it, but I, can do, I cannot do it by myself. So I will say, Tezera or Abi, come and help me. Would you, Tezera, come and help me carry the pulpit? Now, what would you think if I say, come and help him, help me move the pulpit? And I went and said, and let him move it by himself. No, no. What is the parakletos? Is someone that comes with me on my side to help me move the pulpit. Or to help me to pray. You see, the Holy Spirit is not called to do everything for you. He's called to come with you, in you, to help you do something. And here, one of his ministry is to help you to pray. Is one called on your side to help you do a job. That's why Jesus said in 1 John, in John, excuse me, John 14, 16. John 14, 16. John 14, 16. Jesus told the disciple, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go, I will not be able to send the helper. I'm going to send another one just like me. And he will be there to help you. Paracletos. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to send him to you. And I'm gonna, he's going to be just like me. And he will be there sent to you to help you. Amen. And so, and I like another helper, the word another, the word another is the Greek word alos, the Greek word alos, another is the Greek word alos, and it means one identical to me. You see, Jesus had been walking with the disciples for how long? Three years. Jesus walked with the disciples for three years. If they had a question, they went to Jesus. If they had a need, they went to Jesus. If they had a question, they went to Jesus. But then Jesus says, it's better if I go. The disciples were panicked. Why do you need to go? No, don't go, don't go. He said, no, no, it is better if I go. Because when I go, I will send another, alos, one 
exactly like myself in all points. But it will be better. Why? Because Jesus could only be in one place at one time. He could only answer Peter's question, then John, then James, or whoever. He could only meet one need. But the Holy Spirit is not limited. You see, Jesus, even though he was 100% God, he had also limited himself to this body. He was 100% man. And he could only, even though God had been omnipresent everywhere, then Jesus in his humanity had chosen to limit himself to this body. And he could not be everywhere at the same time. And so he told the disciple, it's better for you if I go. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. He will be identical to me, but better yet. Because he will be everywhere at the same time. He will be able to answer Romans question, Tezera question, Adi's question, Helen's question, Hermes question, Abby's question, all at the same time. He will be in India, in Africa, in Europe, everywhere at the same time. No limit. Yeah. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Glory to God. And so that's why the Jesus was insisting that they needed the Holy Spirit in order to pray effectively. Because the Holy Spirit had all wisdom, all knowledge, knew the past, the present, and the future, and was no longer limited by a human body. And he would not only not just be, he would not just be, you know, with Kokebe, but he would be with every one of us at the same time. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, that we needed the Holy Spirit. And so in order, if the Holy Spirit is called to help us, we have to learn to work with the Holy Spirit. You notice I said he is a helper. Tezera, come and help me. Move the pulpit. Quickly. Yes. He's called a helper to come on my side to help me move the pulpit. In the same way, thank you. In the same way, the Holy Spirit... Now, what would happen, come here, if, if, the, if, 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 if Tezera come to help me to move the pulpit, come and help me, and I went and worked against him. I have to work, allow him to work with me. I have to work with him and cooperate with him. And we all go in the same direction. And so in the same way, we have got to learn to work with the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. And we have to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Tezer. We have to learn to work with the Holy Spirit and understand how he works so we can cooperate with him. How he works in prayer so we can work with him. So he can be a help to us. If we work against him, we're not doing anything. Amen. Hallelujah. And so that means in order to learn to work with the Holy Spirit and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to know Him. We've got to learn to know the Holy Spirit, who He is. And the Holy Spirit is not a it, an object. Some people see the Holy Spirit as an influence or a power. They see the Holy Spirit as an object, as a vapor. The Holy Spirit is a... He. That means he's the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus says he's alos, exactly like me, in divinity, in purpose, in character, in personality. And so we've got to work with the Holy Spirit. I've got to learn to know Him. And it is major so that we can be effective and have a good prayer life that we learn who the Holy Spirit is, how He talks, how He wants to help us, how to work with Him and cooperate with Him 
Philippians 2.1, Philippians 2.1 says, If there is therefore any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, and any fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.14 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Jesus, or the Apostle Paul said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You see, some of us, we don't have a problem knowing that we can fellowship with God the Father, and we should, amen. The Father wants to fellowship with us. We have no problem imagining Jesus and talking to Jesus, but it's very hard for us the concept of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, talking to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, and seeing the Holy Spirit as a friend. Because you see, here is the key. Prayer life is towards the Father. But that, does, that doesn't mean we cannot have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you see, where is the Father? Where is the Father? Somebody, where is the Father? In heaven, on the throne. Where is Jesus? At the right hand of the Father. Where is the Holy Spirit? Right here. Now, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is us. You see, the Father is in heaven. You fellowship, talk to Him, ask for his, your needs, approach Him, have intimate fellowship. Jesus is at the Father's hand of God. He's, he's finished. He's sitting down, but He sent the Holy Spirit. And so in this dispensation... The Holy Spirit is an active member of the Trinity. It is the Holy Spirit that is now here to help us. That means that we've got you now. It's the Holy Spirit that is working. The Jesus is resting. He's done. He's done his mission. The Father is, is sitting on the throne. But it's now the Holy Spirit that is at work. So that means that now, today, we've got to learn to work with the Holy Spirit. And that you are now the sole ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help you to fulfill your call. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help you fellowship with the Father. That's his ministry. That's his call. It's to help you minister to the, with the Father. It's to help you to glorify the Father. It's to help you to glorify Jesus. And so if we're going to learn to work with the Holy Spirit, we've got to learn to talk to Him and fellowship with Him. You see, what would you think if, for example, Abby come here, you know, and I said, oh, Abby is my helper. And so Abby was going to work with me all day long. And Abby, wherever I go, he follows me. So I'm going to go and do things all day long. And the whole, and what would you happen if Abby is like, I want, I'm here to help. I'm here to help, but I ignore it. I ignore him. Never talk to him. And I do things all on my own. And sometimes I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to leave the pulpit. And the Holy Spirit is there. But I won't let him help me because I ignore him. But you see, in order, thank you, Abby. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit is there. And sometimes we do not benefit from his ministry because we don't acknowledge him. Or we don't learn to know him, to talk to him, to ask him questions. You see, all through the day, if I need some answers, if I need some revelation, if I need yeah. to do something that I don't know how to do, you know what I do? I talk to my helper. Because he's there to help me. And if I never ask him, the Holy, come here, the Holy Spirit will be there, you know, to help me do anything. To help me to write. To help me. But if I never ask him and do, he will never, if I never invite him 
and acknowledge him and says, Oh, Abby, would you help me, please, to lift up this pulpit? Holy Spirit, would you please help me to understand the scripture? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. Amen. So we have to, uh, to get to know the Holy Spirit. Because he's called at your side to help you. Yes. Amen. And so there's nothing wrong but talking to the helper to receive help. Talking to the helper to do what God has called you to do. Yes. 